Welcome to the Bleep Olympia podcast with guest Deborah Levine, who shares her multiple health debacles and her life stories. Hi, everyone. I am Lorianne. I'm the host of Bleep Bulimia. And in this episode, I am so pleased to have Deborah Levine. And she is someone who has weathered multiple health uh, issues, which required her to reinvent herself multiple times uh, with a determination to make a difference locally and globally. Thank you so much for being with us today. A pleasure, truly. So give us a little bit of an idea of, of your story, of where you came from, where you where what's happened. All right. So while I was born in Brooklyn, I was brought up in the British colony, the island of Bermuda, right? When we came back to the States, I was about seven years old, and I got every illness a kid can have. Chicken pox, measles, German measles, pneumonia, scarlet fever, strep throat, another strep throat. <laughs> and it shaped uh, who I was for so long, understanding that perhaps I was a bit on the fragile side. However, I'm also more than a bit on the determined side. <laughs> and so I used my downtime to read and learn to play the violin, sing, dance. I loved the arts. It was one of the good things about coming from Bermuda to New York um, until I was about, oh, I would say, 16. And then there was a crash and burn as I tried to get out of bed one morning, fell over and couldn't get up. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. And I was already um, uh, ready to go the next year uh, to Harvard. I'd been accepted into Harvard. And there I was lying on the floor. So one of the things uh, that my family did, of course, was shop me around to all sorts of doctors to figure out what was wrong. And there was very little that they came up with. Uh, I didn't have answers. I didn't have cures. Um, for a long time, I, um, I was able to do my, my work at, at high school, uh, but I could not walk very well. So they allowed me to use the high school elevator. And I, had to, I wanted to resign as the president of their dance club, their dance company. Um, and was told, no, you can't resign. It isn't just a matter of performing. You are in charge. You are head of it. You will still be head of it. And so I became the choreographer, the stage manager. Everything else that wasn't performing, which I had not intended to do, and started to understand leadership and what it meant. And perhaps it was a gift because I never looked back, but I still could dance. Yeah. And we were, we were scheduled to actually perform at the World's Fair in New York that, that year, but that wasn't uh, going to happen. So there's a certain amount of, you know, just as a teenager trying to get over grief and disappointment Confusion, what, 
wrong here? And then persevering and remaking myself. And that's when I went off to Harvard. What I didn't realize was how deeply embedded leadership DNA was inside me. And while I was there, I would do and say things when I saw that there were errors, that there are other ways of doing things. I can't say I was always appreciated by the faculty by doing that. So <laughs> when I look back on it, I laugh, right? Young girl, freshman, goes off to Harvard, tells them what for. <laughs> I didn't view myself in those days the same way, especially when in, uh, after my uh, two years, I got terribly ill. Again, we didn't know what happened. I lost so much weight. I was so sick. I was home in bed for months. Wow. Yeah. And they didn't uh, know what it was. They had no clue. No, they really didn't. Um, some said it was my, my liver um, that had failed, uh, but um, it was unclear just what was going on. And I had to continue anyway. Eventually, you know, I did go back. Uh, but I couldn't remember everything anymore. My poor brain had been fried. And eventually I decided that um, people were avoiding me on campus and I was not really there. And I left, came back home, lived with my parents. Uh, my father, who is not uh, the warm and fuzzy type, said, uh, You will graduate from somewhere you will go to new york university they should be happy to have you and i did and i graduated in in one year oh wow i did um having ticked off a couple of professors in the, in the process <laughs> well one of the things you learn when you're so sick and then have to come back from it is hey what you got to lose Go be yourself. Yeah. You know, and so I did. Um, but when I graduated, um, again, my father said, go get a job. And um, <laughs> you and your, your uh, audience may, may not know the historical meaning of this, but I got a job as a secretary in the historic garment district of New York City. Right, uh, not a kind, gentle place. No, it. Uh, and uh, I was assigned to make coffee, and I look at it now as one of God's ways of showing me what real life was like outside of Harvard. <laughs> and it was definitely uh, a, a definite um, education, uh, and. I didn't want to be a secretary all my life. I didn't know what else I could do. At that point, um, my parents, where I was living, decided to move to Cincinnati and take a job there. And uh, I wasn't earning enough to stay in Manhattan. 
So I went with them. I relocated to Cincinnati, Ohio. And I and back in the day, I can remember walking around the city and looking around and saying, you know, where is downtown? Because I'm so used to Manhattan, right? And um, I didn't realize I was right in the middle of it. Yeah, it was another culture shock. And one of the things I've learned over the years is that culture shock reboots your brain in ways that you, you, you're not entirely conscious of. Uh -huh. And it, for, for better or worse, you know, I adapted, I did get a job um, as uh, a, in a library, which I loved, <laughs> the books, right? But again, the illness got me. I was in bed for months. But this time, I was already in my 20s, and I, I didn't want to stay with uh, my parents and be a burden. Uh -huh. And um, when it was time to get up, and it took months, and to learn to walk again and the whole nine yards, uh, I got myself um, a job running a nonprofit yeah. on the campus. Because one of the things you learn is nothing goes to waste, right? Nothing goes to waste. So all my previous experience in the office, my, my Jewish background, my ability to uh, adapt, right? all of a sudden became management expertise. Mm -hmm. Oh, figure, right? And there I was. And uh, my father was uh, down the street, uh, as we would say in Bermuda back in the day, done the road a piece. And uh, he was the chief financial officer of the American Jewish Archives. You know? And he came up and sat in my office and he says, okay, now you're doing community work. You're gonna need a little Yiddish. And I'm saying to him, I didn't know you knew Yiddish, He's, he, but this was the immigrant experience. And all of a sudden I was kind of linked into, yeah. right? The ancestry of this. And he taught me a few lovely Yiddish uh, phrases, um, which I will have to kind of um, not translate word for word because this is... <laughs> But if anybody's looking at this and knows a little Yiddish, you'll know what I'm saying when I say, yum." <laughs> yeah. So um, it, was, it was a different relationship mm -hmm. uh, that I had gathered. And it was a different life for me. I went back to dancing, at, at folk dancing, which I had started in Bermuda at age six, right? Some things you'll always love. And one of the things that happened there is I met a very nice young man. And lo and behold, we decided to get married. And it was amazing to me because I wasn't sure I'd ever get married. One, because of my health. And two, one of the things that my health had done was to uh, cease getting my period 
So for years, I thought I would never have a child. Uh-huh. And something about the, the change in life, all of a sudden, I'm pregnant. <laughs> That's actually pretty similar on my side, too. Even yeah. before my bulimia, they were tell- he was telling me that I had uh, sleepy ovaries. And that I would probably never have a child. And then, of course, you know, because this is about bulimia, the podcast in general, I know you don't have a tie to it, but it's interesting because a lot of bulimics will actually stop having their periods as well if they lose much weight. Anorexics, definitely, and some bulimics. Um, But yeah, so, but a year after I was married, I was pregnant and I'm going so much for you telling me I couldn't have any kids and I didn't want kids. But after my first (laughs) one, After my first one, I said, oh, my goodness, I need a second and a third one because I got too much love into this. Like Uh, it was a godsend, honest to goodness. Um, But it was not literally uh, on my plate was I was never going to get married. Then I got married. I was never going to have kids. And I had three. And I mean, it was just like you never know. Right. You never know where God is going to take you or life is going to take you. That's absolutely correct. And I. I. I worried that my daughter would have problems, some sort of genetic issues or whatever, uh, that I, apparently I was already inheriting from my ancestry. Oh. Uh, yeah. But she turned out perfect. Excellent. And a force of nature. <laughs> yeah. And one of the things that uh, my, my now my stepdaughters have said that it didn't matter that I had might have had issues in terms of getting pregnant my daughter decided she was going to be born and I was going to be the mommy and that was too bad about me (laughs) right yeah (laughs) can't fight that one nope nope there you go (laughs) that's that's very interesting that gives you a sort of an idea of never give up hope and um but also, you know, if, if you're not planning on having any children, even if they tell you that you can't get pregnant, make sure that you, <laughs> that you use some sort of protection because it's not Hello. guaranteed. <laughs> yeah. That was a mix. Eh? I mean, I don't know how you felt being told that you can't have and then finding out you're pregnant with me is a mix of elation, fear. And thinking, oh my goodness, I wanted to have a career if I were ever to think of a family first. And here I am, 25 years old and pregnant and going, wow, there goes that out the window. Because you know, when your children come, it's a whole different world. Yes, it is. That's right. And when my daughter was born, I was already 31. Yeah. Yeah. Which back in the day was old for a new mommy. Yeah. You know? Uh, And... um, (laughs) Yeah. And one of the interesting and horrible things happened that, that when I brought my, my daughter home from the hospital is when the family told me that my mother had incurable cancer. Oh. Yeah. So it, there was both elation and sadness and a tremendous amount of stress on this somewhat fragile body. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, uh, and it showed, it was, it was tough, it was always in pain. Of course, you know how it is with children, they don't care. 
<laughs> feed me, change my diapers, I'm hungry, I'm thirsty. <laughs> and in many ways that was helpful because it kept on going. And, um, uh, but um, it was more than my husband could really handle. And he left. Oh. Yeah. And uh, eventually, after a little while, I joined him, but it didn't stick. So I became a single mom. Wow. And, but one of the things that, that I decided to do in that was in terms of never give up, never give up, was I went back and finished my graduate degree in urban planning. Beautiful. And then I was able to get a job that was just stupendous. Uh, I was in charge of interreligious affairs for the American Jewish Committee in Chicago and managed, directed the 1990 National Workshop on Christian Jewish Relations. Oh, wow. It shaped me forever. I don't know if you've ever tried to do a national or international conference. Probably smart, not. <laughs> <laughs> no, we, we did local ones, but we didn't do the national or international. Yeah. Well, yeah, you had me dealing with the Vatican and who knows what else. Um, writing for the Chicago newspapers. Um, being asked to write books for the first time, um, it, gave, it opened the door, but it was also overwhelming and I got sick again and had to leave that job. You know, just again, just to tie in a little bit, which is like why I was, when I was talking to you in our other podcast, Look Your Story, um, well, I wasn't there, but I watched the whole thing because unfortunately yeah. I wasn't able to make it, but uh, one thing that I, I find fascinating is what you're talking about is the overwhelm can cause this. Just a little quick uh, trivia for you, but I know that with bulimia, a lot of going back to bulimia, because I would be okay, calm, doing something really great, then overwhelm would come over me, and then I would go back to my bulimia. So it's almost like you, it's illness, but it's, it's, it's a form of like they call it disease, bulimia, it's, it's something else and that's where you know your mind is very much connected to your body so yes. that overwhelm you know particularly with you being frail but also bulimics being frail in the sense that they have this crutch that's a word, bad word of saying but so to speak your brain will go there because that's right you know they're going to say either for you you know what you need to relax and you can't do this and I keep telling the people who I talk to who have bulimia, watch your, your plate. Don't overwhelm because it's a trigger. It's a trigger. It is. And it's one that is incredibly efficient. And yes. you can see you can see it and feel it coming. Yes. You know? And sometimes I would then back off. But frequently, I would not because... <laughs> Overachiever or... <laughs> Well, you know, when you are the daughter of a former U.S. military intelligence officer who was assigned to interrogate Nazi prisoners of war, backing off is not your first choice ever. 
<laughs> yeah. So one of the things that uh, that happened when I was, you know, single mom and without a job, uh, I created. I created something, an interfaith resource network. Made it into a nonprofit. Got grants. Funded it. It was a labor of love. Um, it's still going today. Nice. More than de two decades later. Um, and it shaped who I was, uh, who I could become. I started to write more books. Um, some of those books became national award winners. Beautiful. I was often running in a world that I was creating myself. Having said that, entrepreneurs often know that there's a limit to how much you can earn, especially in something like interfaith. <laughs> so I took another real job, as they say, uh, running a Jewish federation uh, in, uh, in Illinois. And one of the things that I encountered <laughs> um, was the issue of the Holocaust. Ah. And I dealt with survivors and liberators. And that's when I found out a little bit more about what my dad had done. Um, it was mind boggling. It was only part time, however, which is probably smart. But I felt I was, a, I was feeling better, I'm going for it. Uh -huh. So I answered an ad and took a job in Tulsa, Oklahoma, shortly after the Oklahoma City bombing. Wow. And I was trained by the FBI in security because the neo-Nazis were going to come after me. Hey, now think about this, this young woman, right? who's taken this job, who has had a history of when overworked, having a crash and burn. Yeah, <laughs> yeah you kind of get the idea. Yeah. But I was determined. And yes, it did really get me. Um, and yet, um, the passion for what I was doing it made such a difference. And it was then that my dad came to Tulsa and talked about what he had done. And I was stunned and realized there's a whole world behind who I am that I wasn't aware of. And being the daughter of someone like him who had seen the Holocaust up close and personal was similar to being a Holocaust survivor in the terms of, was it PTSD? Yeah. And I didn't know. I did then. Wow. Somehow, knowing what's going on gives you more power. Absolutely. You no. Know? And so I was able to make other choices. And I eventually I moved on here to Chattanooga and became the Federation director. Uh, and did all kinds of oh, wonderful programs that gave me incredible joy. 
However, I also got to finally go to Israel. Oh, lovely. Having said that, on the way there, we had a stop off in Uzbekistan and I got terribly ill. Oh. You pick up third world bugs when you're a bit on the fragile side and Absolutely. it doesn't go well. Yeah. And I never recovered completely. Mm. Um, it gave me, uh, it affected my central nervous system. Right? So I tended to stop breathing in my sleep. Uh, it, um, <laughs> I went to the grocery store and got lost, couldn't find my way home. Couldn't remember how to get home. It reminded me of being back at Harvard, you know, when the brain was just gone. And it's, it, I didn't, you don't know if it's going to come back, right? There's no guarantee. So what do you now, do? Would that, be, would that be a similar, probably not, but I remember my mother twice in her life when she was probably in her late 60s when it happened the first time and then in her early 70s and she's like 86 and it hasn't happened, but they called it global amnesia. I think it's similar. Similar to that because I mean, she didn't even know where she was when she came out of it. My dad, she kind of looked at my dad. So what was that? And she was talking things yeah. and weird, but, uh, but similar things. She just, yeah, a, yeah. A sort of blank out kind of. Yeah. Uh, it was indeed. It was indeed. And it's yeah. something that, um, there's no medicine for. No, not really. Uh, and in fact, back in the day at Harvard, when I, when it happened, um, they thought I was just uh, nuts and they put me in a mental hospital. Oh, really? Yeah. They did that a lot to women. And they didn't know what else to do with us. It's true. Unfortunately. So um, having, having had that, that, though, and knowing that I recovered, I thought maybe I might. And... Um, but I knew it would be a while, and I started writing again. Oh, nice. Started writing again. And the reality is, in the ensuing years, I've written more, gotten more awards, been able to do more things, have an amazing career in diversity, equity, and inclusion, speaking, training, writing, um, helping others. That was my key. I, I thought, well, if I'm only going to be here on this planet for a little while longer, right? What I should do, right, is make my mark, but also give other people a voice. Mm. And that's when I, I created the American Diversity Report and published all sorts of other people. And it gave me such pleasure, housebound. Right? Mm -hmm. to open my computer and be able to reach across the universe. That's fantastic. And you keep going, right? That just... Oh, yes, absolutely. In fact, uh, one of my, um, my present projects, um, I think I, I mentioned to you about my father. So I, one of the things that I wrote during this period was a memoir called The Liberator's Daughter. 
right? And people wanted to know more. So I wrote a second memoir called The Magic Marble Tree. I like that. Uh, which, oh, that's, it was for my mom. And it was more about me and my health journey because people wanted to hear about it. But here we are in this strange times and I wanted people to hear my voice and hear my parents' wartime stories through me. So I've just completed uh, a radio script that has my parents' uh, wartime letters Nice. And the Holocaust survivors' letters, and I narrate it. And I'm just beginning to talk to universities about maybe putting this together with their theater department and their radio shows so that my voice becomes heard, and so do theirs. Fantastic. I really appreciate your story. I love that, you know, that you've shared all this. And, uh, Speaking about your books, can you let our listeners know how to contact you, where you can get their book, wherever they can get your books? Sure. So if you go on to americandiversityreport.com, you'll see on the side where it says about Deborah Levine, and there's a drop down menu. And one of them says books by Deborah. And you can see all 15. Beautiful. That's the best yeah. way for them to get. Are they up on Amazon anywhere? If they look they are also on Amazon. Okay, perfect. Absolutely. And people uh, from other countries have ordered them and, and, and read them and uh, put some testimonials down, uh, which I much appreciate. So uh, if they look up Deborah Levine, so uh, D-E-B-O-R-A-H, Yes. L-E-V-I-N-E. Look that up on, on Amazon to, uh, to I think that would do it. Uh, awesome. it. My middle initial is J in case okay. that's needed. Right. And they can they can start off with the liberator's daughter. And then the Amazon may lead you to some more uh, others of, of my books. Uh, some of them, the two of them are, are memoirs. Uh, the others are how-to books. Uh, for uh, dealing with uh, diversity and um, and one is a workbook for writing your own memoir. Oh, perfect. Because I encourage people to do this, not only for people to hear your story, but what I have found in my journey is that the one of the most transformational things I can do for myself is right. Yes. Okay. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you being here. And uh, definitely we'll have to have you come back on at some point, give us some more updates on what you're up to next. Oh, yes. <laughs> Stay tuned. <laughs> Take care, Deborah. <laughs> Bye-bye. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to this episode. Be sure to visit me at bleepbulimia.com